outstanding work over the shoulder of Bowman. to have you with us here tc martin ballpark frank on this magnificent monday and we got to recap a very busy sports weekend especially here in las vegas oh yeah we will recap manny pacquiao your dennis ugas the fight on saturday night uh wildly entertaining exciting and a little bit demoralizing too especially for the seventeen thousand plus that were there to root for manny pacquiao Al Bernstein will join us today. We'll uh, visit with Al, as well as Sam Gordon, who covered the fight for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. A couple of our go-to boxing insiders, part of the show. I'll give you my thoughts as well, too. Frank got a chance to watch it as well. So we'll dive into that. Pacquiao-Ugas, and could this be the last time that we saw Manny Pacquiao in the squared circle? We'll dive into all of that for you today. Matthew Holt will join us as well, too. U.S. Integrity, of course, Matt, will talk the sportsbook angle of the fight as well. But uh, we're also going to dive into what's happening in college football because it is the beginning of college football season coming up this weekend. And the Big Ten making a big announcement today regarding COVID protocols. So a lot to hit on, a lot to cover on a a, a busy Monday. So hopefully everyone had a, a great weekend. We dive into it uh, with you today. And, of course, you can hit us on Twitter if you've got thoughts regarding the fight or anything else. Raiders-Rams, they played, of course, Saturday night in Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know if anyone's really keeping score. I mean, it was 17-16, but no starters played for either team. But uh, you can hit us on Twitter with that, at TCMartin21, at VGK Frank. All right, my friend, uh, good Monday to you. Happy weekend, and uh, hopefully it was a prosperous one for you. Well, I mean, I watched a lot of sports, uh, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, I watched the boxing match, was watching uh, some baseball. Obviously, the uh, Cincinnati uh, tennis tournament, uh, uh, Ashley Barty won there, and uh, Alexander Zverev won. As 
the final major tune-up, getting ready for the U.S. Open, which will be starting, I believe it is eight days from now. So, uh, you know, I'm a big tennis fan. As always, I watch Australian rules football and other things too. So, And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to catch this or not, but, you know, there was all that talk around the Olympics of Shikari Richardson and not being able to run because of the marijuana test and that. Well, did you happen to see what she did in the Prefontaine uh, track meet yeah. up there? Yeah. Did not do so well. Didn't do so well. Mm-hmm. Ninth out of nine is not gold medal yeah. material. Yeah. And it's going to uh, save that for Terrible Tuesday tomorrow because we got some audio from her. Well, we can go well into too. it a little bit deeper, but I'm yeah. just saying yeah. it's like, so, you know, you know, everybody who jumps on bandwagons and that it's like you know you still have to be there and compete on the biggest stages but yeah it, it was a fun weekend and uh I, I was watching the uh the boxing match at the same time as ufc uh i was a little bit upset to see uh my my, my man clay guida not perform up to his expectations but uh you know he's been around for a long time he still showed okay for himself but he lost his fight but uh yeah a lot of action going on and uh there is no such thing as a dead time in sports anymore. And I did think it was kind of cool. I know we just had the Field of Dream game in Iowa. But when the Little League World Series is going on and those people go there and those kids see the buses rolling in with the Angels and the the Indians, uh, it, it, it it's still a really exciting thing there, too. It's not exactly a Field of Dream, but it's kind of like a whole complex of dreams there at the Little League World Series. Yeah. Major League Baseball has been doing that the last few years. And yeah. it is a cool thing. It is It is a very cool thing. And, you know, in retrospect, I mean, a lot of people wanted to talk about the Field of Dreams saying, well, it's kind of hokey and kind of jokey. And for me, I really did think it was a cool idea, uh, especially just about every baseball fan, well, except for maybe a couple of White Sox who ne- never were familiar with the movie, which we talked about last week as well. But, no, it, it's, it, it's cool to embrace. Anytime you can embrace the heritage or tradition of sports, I love that. And. You know, even though Field of Dreams, that, that movie was made, you know, 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, it's, it's still pretty iconic. But with the Little League World Series, that's been going on forever in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And for Major League Baseball to say, hey, let's build a regulation Major League Baseball field that can seat, you know, anywhere from whatever it is, six to 10,000 fans, that's cool. And, and, and basically, and it's probably not even that big. Because what they do is they limit that game that they play now once a year in conjunction with the Little League World Series while it's going on there in Williamsport. And to basically shut it down to a majority of the public, and it's for the kids and their families that participate in the World Series to be there and to have access to those players. And on the surface, you look at "Eh, Angels, Indians, really, eh, really, really not much. But for those kids to get a chance to see Shoei Otani... And, you know, too bad Mike Trout's not playing. But, but, but he was cool. there, and they yeah. interviewed him right. between innings yeah. and that. So, so, very cool. so they still got to see yeah. a guy like Mike Trout. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, too, because they were asking him about his Little League career and that. And he was like, well, yeah, I never made it to the Little League World Series. I mean, I would have loved to have. No, but, most uh, don't. <laughs> you know, so. But, yeah, it, it is a cool event, and you're right. It's cool that the kids get to talk to him and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the teams are. And if you haven't been watching the Little League World Series this year, remember, it's a little bit different than we've ever seen before because it's just teams from the United States because of COVID and pandemic and travel restrictions and that it's not really the whole world this year. It's not so, international. You know, right? it, it's, it's just – all the USA teams, which is cool because there's more representatives from the United States, but it maybe loses a little bit of that international flavor. But when that game goes on, regardless of what the teams are on that, it's a it's a thing for the kids that they are going to literally remember the rest of their lives. Yep. 
All right, let's talk about what happened Saturday night. T-Mobile Arena, uh, it was electric in that arena as Manny Pacquiao and your Dennis Ugas. Ugas wins a unanimous decision. Uh, 116-112 and two judges' scorecards, 115-113. It it was unanimous, and uh, we'll be breaking down that fight uh, pretty deeply today. Like I said, Al Bernstein and Sam Gordon are going to join us. Uh, Sam, this hour, and Al Bernstein uh, next hour. But... First, before we start getting into the fight, I just want to talk about the atmosphere there. And there are a lot of people out there that didn't know how packed T-Mobile Arena was going to be. And I don't know where this comes in with. And, and, if, and we heard the talk about this with um, Wilder and Fury before that fight got postponed till October the 9th. People were going, well, you know, you know, people aren't going to show up or they're not selling tickets and that sort of thing. I don't know where people get that. And we heard it last week as well, too. People saying, well, you know, ticket prices have dropped and uh, there's still tickets available. There were 17,438. And I talked a lot about this last week that it really doesn't matter who Manny Pacquiao gets in the ring with. People are going to show up. And it's just not Filipinos that are going to come. And he has a huge Philippine contingent. We understand that. But there are boxing fans that want to see Manny Pacquiao. And it's always been this way. It doesn't matter if he's fighting Miguel Cotto or if it's Floyd Mayweather or it's Juan Manuel Marquez. It doesn't matter. Oscar De La Hoya or your Dennis Ugas, who was a last-minute replacement for the most part, you know, not too many people knew of. Even though we tried to say that this is going to be a good fight because Ugas can fight and he narrowly lost to Sean Porter. Lost a split decision to to Sean. And we know that this was going to be a very good fight. But when Spence dropped out because of the eye injury and had to have the surgery, a lot of people thought, well, you know, how many people are really going to watch this, buy it on pay-per-view or go to T-Mobile? arena and like i said last week it had zero effect Seventeen thousand four hundred and thirty-eight in the building and honestly they probably could have got more because what they did is they curtained off the top part of uh of one of the ends and i couldn't figure out you know why they actually did that if they thought okay maybe we're not going you know to draw and it took me a while while I'm looking around inside the arena to actually even notice they did that. And uh, because the buzz was there, the electricity was there, the crowd was there, no question about it. And I'm, I'm wondering if you're filling up the other end, you know, if we're talking like hockey terms here, where behind the, where the Golden Knights shoot yeah. twice, you know, in the, the first and the third period. I mean, that was filled to the brim. You probably could have had that at, at the same end, you know? So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know why they did that, but uh, but it was a great night. It was a great crowd, and when it was all done, it uh, you know it uh, a lot of people were walking out of there with their heads hung low. That like, wow, I, I think this was it. This is the last time we saw Manny Pacquiao. It's not for certain because Manny wouldn't directly address that, just in typical Manny fashion, like we talked about last week. Hey, well, you know, this is boxing. Didn't have my best tonight. Ugas was the better guy. And asked, and you know, actually pressed about you know what, what's going to happen to his future. Manny just said, "I'm going to take some time. I'm going to relax and uh, think it over." And uh, he all, is also remember contemplating running for president 
of the Philippines. So he's got some decisions to make. And those that follow Manny Pacquiao, follow the sport of boxing, this is not the first time we've seen this after a Manny Pacquiao fight. You know, when he has lost, specifically over the last five or six years, there's always this time frame. People are saying, hmm, is this going to be it? But uh, you can't blame Manny Pacquiao if he now decides this is enough at the age of 42. Well, don't remember going into this fight, a lot of people were saying even if, even if he won the fight and he didn't win it convincingly that he might stop step aside from the sport. So I don't know what's going to happen. But if he would have said that was it after that fight, would that mean that it was definitely it? How many times have we seen boxers say that they're done and then they come back afterwards and they rethink things and they talk to their families and their trainers and that and what they could have done different? Uh, Manny looked like, to me, there was maybe a little bit of ring rust. I, I think Ugats also had, I, I think he had a little extra incentive that nobody really talked about going into this fight. I think he was upset that everybody kept on saying, well, Manny never lost the belt and he's still the champ at that. He had something to prove. He wanted to prove that it was his belt, that, you know, that he did earn it because he didn't beat Manny for it. And the one thing when I was watching the fight that I kept on shaking my head at, they're going like, wow, Ugas took this fight on only 11 days notice. Well, didn't Manny as well? I mean, both of them yeah, had guys drop they were out. Both, so. They are both training, so yeah, that, that yeah, doesn't yeah. play into it and, at all. And that's the thing. They yeah. were both training and yeah. for different types of opponents. Yeah. But they kept on saying that about Ugas. And I'm like, they both took the fight on short notice. That's why this card is still happening. Mm-hmm. But don't give one more love or props worth than the other one or whatever. But, no, I mean, I thought it was a good fight. I thought Ugas fought a very smart fight. He basically did exactly... What uh, Timothy Bradley told us he should going into that fight last week. He said every time Manny throws, he's got to take it, and then he's got to throw back. He's got a counterpunch. He's got a counterpunch. And Ugats did that exceptionally well. He blocked most of the punches. He ducked and weaved. He had a little bit longer reach, and he used that jab to his perfection. I think he was loading up on the punches more. Uh, I thought Ugas won the fight. It wasn't a dominating fight. I don't think either fighter was ever, ever actually really hurt. But I thought Ugas came in there with a great game plan, and I, had, I, it looked to me like Manny just couldn't figure it out. He didn't know how to get inside and land punches. He threw flurries, but most of the time he threw flurries, they weren't connecting. Yeah, the keys to the fight was Ugas is the bigger fighter. Uh, he created problems for Manny. Uh, he delivered more power punches. Ugas connected on 59% of his power punches, which is, is phenomenal. All the credit goes to Ugas for that. Uh, overall, he connected on 37% of all of his punches, and Manny Pacquiao only connected on 16%. And to put that in perspective, you go back to the Floyd Mayweather Jr. fight when Manny fought him in 2015 when Manny had the, the bad shoulder, and Floyd was just impossible to hit that night. Manny connected on 19%. So he connected less against Ugas in this fight. Now, obviously, this is six years later. The two years uh, you know, off in the ring, that, that accounts for something. Ugas obviously has fought twice you know, since that time. But the bottom line is, Ugas didn't do anything special in this fight. This is exactly how he fights. He fought Sean Porter this way. Obviously, Sean pressed it like Sean does. He comes in like the bull in the china shop, the bulldog that he is, and that was that was rough and tough. But this is how Ugas fought. He this is this is it. He'll he'll take his time. He'll load up on the right. Uh, you know he'll lead with the jab. Uh, he has good footwork. He's a smart boxer. Again, you know, typical Cuban fighter. Uh, they're not going to just waylay you with, with power punches. They're going to be very, very tactical, very, very, very smart. 
He's a bronze medalist going way back. Ugas is 35 years old as well, but of course has been you know much more active you know in recent years than Manny Pacquiao. Hasn't fought the 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 big name guys except for Sean Porter. But this was a tremendous performance by Ugas, and again, I I do think that it you know he he gets all the credit in the world here, and it's for for Manny. Not to make any excuses here, but he did say that his legs were tight, that he couldn't, he didn't have that footwork. He did not have that traditional Manny Pacquiao footwork, and he said that you know his his legs were cut tight and he, and he just couldn't move them. But uh, Manny was active; he gave it his best shot. Eight hundred fifteen punches, Manny Pacquiao threw as an average of sixty eight per round. But the bottom line is, you're right; he could not get inside. He did not have that 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 footwork, and uh, Ugas was the better fighter on Saturday night. And you mentioned the fact that Ugas was loading up on the right, and he certainly did that. But that jab was incredibly effective. Oh, yeah. You know, he got it through. Even when he blocked it, even when Manny blocked the jab, it still kind of went back into his face a little bit. So he was, you know, the other thing, too, that I noticed, and I don't know if you saw the same thing or not, I don't think Ugas ever, I don't want to say respected, but he certainly never feared Manny Pacquiao's power. He never looked at him and said, boy, I got to be extra careful here because if he catches me, I'm going to get hurt. I think he saw those punches coming. He saw the speed and the flurry of them, but it's not like he thought he's going to knock me out with one punch or something like that. And that really helped him in his game plan. That helped him stay right in the pocket and use the jab. And when the punches came, just kind of put up his hands, block them, step back a little bit, and Manny would swing and miss all the time. I thought Ugas was in there with supreme confidence, and the deeper the fight went into, I thought he gained even more confidence. And like you said, he loaded up on that right. He used the jab incredibly well. He only threw half as many punches as Manny Pacquiao, but he landed 21 more punches in the fight. And that says a lot right there. And then when you add in that he not only landed 21 more punches, but he had basically all the real power punches in the fight. Uh, I'm not saying that he should have won it. In a, it, you know, it wasn't a blowout. He didn't win any 10-8 rounds or nothing like that. But you could make an argument that he won by even more than he did. And I know Manny Pacquiao gets the love and he's going to get some close rounds and that sort of stuff. But I know going into the last couple rounds, I was looking around and I was thinking to myself, they can't possibly steal this from him, can they? Because I know a lot of people going into this fight said, well, the one thing U.S. isn't going to be able to do is beat Manny in Vegas with the Vegas judges. Well, he did. And he did it rightfully so. And kudos to the judges for seeing that and not giving it to Manny Pacquiao just because he's Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao has been a great ambassador for the sport. He still is. Whatever he decides to do, if he fights again, I'll look forward to going and seeing it. If he stays in the Philippines as a senator or if he runs for president, I wish him all the luck there as well because he's a quality human being. But on Saturday night, the better boxer was Zugas. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. And here's the thing. I mean, this fight was extremely close because – the rounds were extremely close. And I'm telling you, even myself, I had a hard time judging some of these rounds. And there were a couple swing rounds. You know, a couple swing rounds. Seven was a big swing round. Uh, nine and ten were big-time swing rounds. And a lot of those rounds could have gone either way. And the fight was justifiably close. This is, wasn't even close to being to one-sided. But did Ugas win the fight? Yes, Ugas won the fight. But when you really dive into the numbers here, I mean, you know, you go look at, at round number 12 here, and this is, this is a, a shocking stat here. And I can't recall ever seeing a stat like this, especially for Manny Pacquiao. But Manny Pacquiao threw 51 jabs in the 12th and final round. 
You know how many connected on? Zero. I was going to say not many. Zero. I don't remember any. That's but, cr- yeah, it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's in, in, insane to only connect on that. And, and it also shows if you if you watch that run again and yeah. you replay it in your head, or if you get a chance to watch the fight again, he was throwing the jams, but Ugas was backing up, yeah. and and he didn't because he didn't have the right. reach in that he was throwing them, trying to make it look like he was doing something, but they weren't really close. It was it was almost throwing more for show right. than actual effect. Well, and the same thing with Ugas. Okay, here here's a round, and and I I, I can only go back to. When I think it was Robert Easter fought at the Cosmopolitan a couple of years ago, there were several rounds where neither guy basically connected on a punch. No fighter connected on a jab in the 12th round. Ugas only threw five. He was 0 for 5. And, you know, a lot of, time, a lot of reasons why these rounds were close. I mean, you, you look at these, these... Ugas never landed more than... Then, well, uh, in round one, he landed eight jabs. In round two, he landed nine. Every other round was five or less. I mean, he was two for 20. He was three for 22. He was two for 20. I mean, these were tough rounds to score. And if you like volume punching, you like Manny Pacquiao. And Manny Pacquiao, even getting in a, a couple punches, those flurries of combinations, they can steal you rounds when the other guy isn't throwing enough. Now, Ugas landed the power punches, and he threw more power punches. And, and again, he connected on, like we said, 56% of those. But outside of those, you know, it's, again, it, it was a very good fight. It was an entertaining fight. I can just speak for the 17,000. I don't know how it came across on television, but, I mean, people were on the edge of their seats there. And as far as the judges go, I mean, these are worldwide judges. They're, just, they're not Las Vegas, Nevada judges. These are worldwide judges. And, yeah, they are the best in the world. And no one's going to get swayed by, by Manny Pacquiao or the crowd or, or whatever. But uh, we knew there was going to be a competitive fight. It was a good fight. I don't know anybody out there that's complaining today for either side than saying, well, you know, uh, you, know, you know, Manny won that fight. No, Manny did not win that fight, but it was a close fight. And if you had Ugas winning, you had Ugas winning by either one or two or, or three rounds, and which falls in line with the, the judges' scorecard. So, uh, again, uh, good fight, entertaining fight, but the big question is, you know, what's going to be next for Manny? And let's remember what Manny Pacquiao has done. People before, a lot of people start trashing Manny Pacquiao because I know it's, it's hard to trash Manny Pacquiao. And if you're trashing Manny Pacquiao, then you're not a follower of boxing. You don't love boxing and you don't understand boxing. But to get in the ring at 42 years of age against a guy who is a champion, and like we talked about with Al Bernstein, won what, uh, you know, 10 out of his last 11 fights, been phenomenal. Manny Pacquiao has fought everybody. He retired Oscar De La Hoya. He got in with Floyd Mayweather Jr., you know, probably, you know, two Floyds liking. They should have fought five years earlier. But all of these guys that he fought, for the most part, Hall of Famers. Juan Manuel Marquez, multiple fights. Eric uh, Morales, uh, multiple fights. Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. Uh, Marco Antonio Barrera, multiple fights. Hall of Famer. Uh, You know, Miguel Cotto, at his peak, Hall of Famer. I mean, he's got in with everybody. And he's won close to 80 fights. And fighting to your 42 years of age, eight division champion, no one is even close to that. 
Oscar De La Hoya is the next closest. It is six. Uh, weight division champion. You talk about coming back, and we see Oscar is coming back here next month. You know, because you know, in a real boxing match, even though he's going to be fighting, you know, uh, and Ham and Ager or you know, former UFC guy, but it's going to be sanctioned as a regulation boxing match. But the bottom line is, we have not seen the likes of Manny Pacquiao, and I'll go down and I'll say it to anybody as far as the greatest fighter of all time, because I get asked that all the time, and we've talked about that too. You know, and I think you asked me that a few months ago. It's Manny Pacquiao. It's Oscar De La Hoya for what they did during the longevity of their career, not judged by the fights they lost, not judged how they exited. You know, throw Bernard Hopkins in there as well, too, who looked horrible his last time. But you don't want to remember that. You're not going to remember that. And for Manny Pacquiao, more than likely, this is probably going to be it because it's not that Manny feels like he needs to fight or he's chasing money or whatever, but Manny feels like that he lets people down. He lets his countrymen down. He lets box. He's the only fighter I know that continually, the first thing out of his mouth is, I want to thank the fans and the media for covering me for this fight, for all the fights and everything. And if he feels that, you know what, I'm taking up, you know, you know, some other, you know, fighters time or whatever, he's going to step aside. And this guy is a class act. He's a class champion. And he's one of the best ever. Well, you know, you listed a lot of the guys that he fought there. And the one thing that I like about that list, more than you do with some other guys, because there's been other fighters that have fought some big names, but they fought them on their terms or at the time they wanted to fight them. Manny Pacquiao fought guys when he could get in the ring and fight against them. He didn't say, okay, it's to my advantage now because this guy's too young and not ready for me. Or I'm going to wait a couple years because then he's going to be too old and he's not, you know, then I'll be better than him or something like that. He fought them in their primes. He tried to put on good fights for the people. Like you mentioned, at the end of the fight when he came out, And he said, look, I did my best tonight. It wasn't good enough or whatever. He doesn't make excuses. When he got completely screwed down in Australia, he didn't come out. He didn't say, the judges are out of their mind. What are they doing? He said, I thought I did enough to win, but they didn't see it that way. So congratulations to my opponent. And I'm going to go on in this and that. I'm going to go back to the Philippines and try to help people. I'll try to do better next time, essentially. You know, if it wasn't Manny Pacquiao, if it would have been almost any other fighter on the planet, And his opponent, 11 days before the fight, comes up with a torn retina. They probably would have said, well, I'm going to wait for him to heal or I'm going to get somebody else. Manny said, is there another opponent ready? I don't want to let the fans down. He knew Ugas he knew Ugas was good. Oh yeah. He knew that Ugas had had a belt that, you know, maybe he still had a chip on his shoulder on. He didn't want to let people down. Nobody would have slighted Manny Pacquiao. If he said, I'm sorry, my opponent can't fight, so the fight's off because I haven't trained for this guy. He took the fight for the people. He gave his best. He wasn't dominated. He wasn't blown out. He put on the best show and then afterwards said, I gave my best. It wasn't good enough tonight. Wasn't making excuses. Didn't say the judges robbed him of it or anything like that. It was 100% in his right to not take the fight. And he knew it was a dangerous fight, but that's not Manny Pacquiao. Anybody who slights him or says anything negative about him, if you say it after realizing that, then I'm sorry, in my opinion, you're an idiot. (laughs) And what goes unsung back in the Floyd Mayweather fight is, remember, Manny had every excuse, just like you said, to bail out of that fight as well, too. He had a shoulder injury. 
All right, he had a torn a serious leg, one, a serious, a serious one that required surgery three days later. Okay, after the swelling went down, he had surgery and he had to. But the athletic commission didn't notice anything, uh, and Manny said, "You know, I, I'm going to continue to fight because people have waited five years for this fight. Five years too late, as many of us have always said and believe. But he didn't want to let." His opponent down to Floyd Mayweather. He didn't want to let the promoters down. He didn't want to let the fans down and everybody else that was waiting for this fight. So he says, I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to go in there and do the best that I can. And then afterwards, you know, he says that. And some people say, oh, look, you're making excuses. No, because the injury was there and he had surgery because he didn't injure it during that fight. It was an existing injury that he had, you know, prior to that, 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 uh, that he hurt in training camp. And it's not like he came right out and said, oh, my shoulder. Not it leaked out. Other people yes. mentioned it. It yeah. came up from the medicals and that kind of stuff. He would, he probably, if it wasn't leaked by somebody else, we probably still wouldn't even know that he had an injury except for like it's, why was Manny just at the doctor and going under the knife and why is he wearing a sling now or something like that? Because he doesn't make excuses. He knows that it's a, it's a mono a mono. It's a very macho profession, which even that's not right because the women put on great fights as well. But, he doesn't make excuses. He does his best. Like you said, he figured people already waited five years too long for this fight. Okay, I have an injury. I can tough it out. I'm Manny Pacquiao. I'm still going to try to find a way to win. Oh, I didn't find a way to win. Floyd beat me. Congratulations to Floyd. Good fight for you. I'll try to come back bigger, better, and stronger next time. Yep, there it is. All right, uh, we come back. We'll continue with our, our coverage of the Manny Pacquiao, your uh, Dennis Ugas fight from Saturday night. Sam Gordon was there as well. And uh, we'll give us uh, his take. Uh, wrote some great uh, articles leading up to that fight. And also his recap on, on Saturday night was uh, fantastic as well. Al Bernstein next hour. Plus, we'll be talking some college football and a whole lot more. Glad to have you with us on this Monday. This is Showtime Sean Porter. You know I'm tuning in to the T.C. Martin Show. All right, we continue on this Monday recapping a busy weekend here in Las Vegas, specifically on Saturday night. Manny Pacquiao loses to your Dennis Ugas. And uh, let's bring in uh, our good friend, uh, Sam the Man Gordon, who covered it for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, what's going on, brother? How you doing, TC? Happy Monday. Happy to be back on the show. Good to talk to you. All right, man. Great to have you. And I know uh, fight week is always a very busy week for, for all of us. And we're, you know, we're talking to, to guests. We're talking to fighters, lining it all up. And again, uh, commend you on your coverage. Uh, your coverage was fantastic all last week, especially uh, the piece that you wrote about Manny Pacquiao, kind of really setting the stage, Sam, for, you know, hey, was this the last time that we see the Senator Manny Pacquiao? And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And then again, following up with uh, uh, the coverage on Saturday night, man. So, uh, yeah, I know you work hard at it, and I appreciate your boxing coverage, man. Uh, thank you, TC. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it was a fun week. It was a fun week, uh, incredible atmosphere on Saturday night at T Mobile Arena. And uh, it, it, it felt, I mean, this was the first, right, TC? I think one of my big takeaways for the last year and a half, because of, of, of factors out of our control with the COVID 19 pandemic. Uh, we didn't have a big fight week like this in Las Vegas. It felt so good. The town was definitely energized, especially Saturday night, to have a big fight week back in town. And, of course, uh, Manny Pacquiao is as big of a star that's ever come through this town, and you could definitely feel that throughout the course of the week. And then, of course, 
on Saturday night in the lead up into the fight. So it was an incredible experience. Um, glad, uh, glad you enjoyed my piece and, uh, and happy to be back on the show uh, after the fight. Yeah, and uh, you know, let's before we start uh, going into the fight, Sam, I want to talk about the atmosphere because it, it was an electric atmosphere, even though for a lot of people they thought, okay, Earl Spence Jr. is out of the fight, your Dennis Ugas, not too many people know, but we knew, we talked about it last week and leading up to this fight, that this was going to be a good fight because Ugas can fight, and there's no question about it. But still, Manny Pacquiao put 17,438 people in T-Mobile Arena, and for me, I don't think it mattered who Manny Pacquiao was going to fight. Earl Spence Jr., your Dennis Ugas, or anybody... Manny is the drawing card. He's the A side, and that showed out big time. So for people thinking that that people weren't going to show up for this fight, uh, sadly mistaken. But I think we know as boxing fans the drawing power that Manny Pacquiao has, and I was very glad and very excited to see that many people show up on Saturday night. Yeah, it's a testament uh, TC to what he's accomplished throughout the course of his you know twenty six year professional career, and a lot of the the biggest moments of that career, right? Of course, have come in this town of Las Vegas. I mean, for, for decades, he had been thrilling fight fans here, and I think there was an understanding, right? And he, you know, didn't come out and say it, you know, throughout the course of the promotion, but definitely hinted that this could be it, and it's understandably so, right? 42, 42 years old, he's been in this game since 1995. He's fought the best of the best of the best, and like you said, whether or not it was Earl Spence, whether or not it was your Dennis Ugas, it could have been whoever, for, for, for all we care, um, the, the 17,000 strong plus strong packed T-Mobile arena to celebrate um, the, the, the senator, the fighting senator from the Philippines and what could be his last fight. And there's, it's, there's, it's just it's different, right? We, we've, we've been to fights, TC, with, with other marquee fighters, with other big-name fighters, and that's not to take anything away from them. A lot of legends have passed through this town. But specifically, since I've been here, um, there's, there's not a, there hasn't been a draw like Manny Pacquiao, uh, and that just kind of shows you know the global reach that he has. He is in an icon beyond boxing, a global icon, and one of the few fighters, you know, they come along every generation or so, but one of the few that have really transcended the sport. And uh, and to, to have that big fight week feel, to have the crowd in, in at T-Mobile Arena, definitely a pro Pacquiao crowd. There's no question about that. I mean, I got, you know, I got chills, right? Like this, knowing that this could be his last fight and knowing that, you know, we were there to experience it and just the energy and the atmosphere and how much fan support he had. Um, it was really a thrilling environment. And, uh, and, you know, I know we'll get into the fight, but that's what your Dennis Ugas was up against. And, boy, did he stand his ground and, and fight a spectacular fight uh, in, the, in, in the, you know, those kind of waters. Those are deep, deep, deep waters fighting in front of, you know, a pro Pacquiao crowd like that. And he was pure professional the entire promotion and all night long. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because when you talk about all the legends that have come through this town, whether they've been performing in boxing or MMA or something else or out here visiting, representing the NFL or Major League Baseball or something else. And, of course, now we have teams coming out here with hockey and football and that as well. But, you know, whenever somebody does come to town, it seems like a lot of people might be fans of theirs. But then there's people that, you know, maybe aren't the biggest fans of somebody, too. With Manny Pacquiao, it seems like everybody just likes this guy. You always see him smiling. He was smiling on his way down to the ring. Even though you could tell that he was a little bit bummed out that he lost the fight, he was still smiling, saying, I gave my best in that. He's such a likable person. Of all the legends that have come through, I don't know about you guys, but unless they maybe just don't like him from a boxing standpoint for some reason, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Manny Pacquiao. No, and you can't. Well, yeah, Go ahead, Sam. Yeah. It's so hard to it's so hard to dislike Manny. I mean, what what reason has he given any of us in terms of the boxing to dislike him? He's from the time he he first arrived in Las Vegas in June of two thousand one. 
um, when he took the Lovato, the, the, the Daba fight on short notice, uh, on two, you know, 11, two weeks notice or whatever, at that time he's one of the best pound for pound players on the planet. Manny Pacquiao got, walks in the ring and stops him. And, and that's, that's the kind of mentality that Manny Pacquiao is always fought with. Uh, he's going to fight the best. He's going to take on the biggest challenges. Doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, how much bigger they are than him. Eight divisions, eight weight classes. He really embodies the spirit of what boxing was built on. And that's, hey, I'm going to give my best against you and your best. And we are, you know, two of the best and we're going to go at it. And, and he always competed with that tenacity, that hunger, and he was never afraid of anybody. I mean, he fought the best of his era all the, all, 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 way, all the way up to 154 pounds. Challenged the very best of his era. Was absolutely fearless. Um, won a majority of those fights. Lost some. And when he lost, he, you know, he handled those losses with grace and dignity and um, really a, a kind of a generational fighter. And I think if, if this is it, right, and I, I get the sense that this, this was it, maybe one kind of farewell fight uh, in the Philippines, maybe, you know, before his, his home crowd and his his faithful fans. I could see something possibly like that. But in terms of a big, big, big fight card like this one where he's headlining in Las Vegas, um, if this is it, you know, I think there's there's a genuine sense of appreciation for what he accomplished. He he was a generational fighter who took on, who fought all the best and, and did it with a lot of class and a lot of dignity and uh, and was really, really exciting when doing so. I mean, with his style, uh, the way he competed, the, 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 the hand speed, the footwork, the way he was able to pressure and come forward, the knockout power that he had during the course of his prime. Um, really, really a unique fighter and, and, a, and a total package inside the ring. So uh, there's, there, like you guys said, there's, it's, it's hard to find a reason to dislike this guy. He was a great ambassador uh, for the sport, obviously an incredible ambassador uh, for his native native Philippines and, and really brought the fellow Filipino people glory throughout the last you know two decades and, 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 and some change. So, yeah, it's hard to find anybody who has a bad thing to say about Manny Pacquiao and what he accomplished in boxing. And, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, some of the guys just off the top of my head who he's fought. And, again, he's fought so many Hall of Famers. And then just recently we saw him at age 40, you know, defeat Keith Thurman, you know, the way he, the, he, he beat him and, and, and knocked him down in the first round and went to win a, a relatively easy decision. But then you look at guys that, you know, like Timothy Bradley three times. We talk about Floyd Mayweather Jr., um, Brandon Rios when he was at, you know, the top of his game, Shane Mosley, he retired Oscar De La Hoya, Miguel Cotto when he was at his prime, Ricky Hatton, who was a, a great fighter at that point in time, Marco Antonio Barrera multiple times, Eric Morales multiple times, all these guys, Hall of Famers. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. And uh, there, there are so many others. But here's the thing, too. We talk about eight weight division champions, Sam. This guy didn't start at 140 pounds or even 135 pounds. He started at 112 pounds. He started out at a super flyweight. And like you said, fought one time at 154 and then ended pretty much at 147. To go from 112 pounds up to 147 to be the king of the welterweight division, that is something that we will never, ever see anyone do again. No, we won't. We won't. It's, it's, it's totally unprecedented. And it was unprecedented in real time. And I think there's a, there's a real sense of appreciation for, hey, this guy's he wants to challenge himself. He's not afraid to lose. He's not afraid of anything. I mean, he believes... He can beat anybody, no matter how big they were, no matter how strong, how ferocious they were, and 
Um, like you said, do you see the way he? I mean, the way he was able to dismantle Antonio Margarito, who was a tremendous, tremendous fighter, goes up to 154 pounds. I mean, you're talking about from 112 to 154. And you look at Manny Pacquiao. I mean, he's not a big guy. You think his natural, the way his frame is built, he's probably more of a natural 130 or 135, maybe 140. But so the fact that he was able to be a mainstay and a fixture um, at the at the later part of his career at 147, and, he, and like you said, even dipping his toes into 154. It's incomprehensible. It's inconceivable. He's the only eight division champion ever, uh, and that's a record that I think is, is will will stand for stand the test of time. We're not we're not going to see that again. And the, the willpower and the fortitude and the fearlessness that you have to have as a fighter to want to do that, to want to climb through the divisions like that, uh, very unparalleled, unparalleled. And uh, and it's a testament to, to his willpower, his belief in himself, and, and his the fearless uh, attitude and demeanor and the spirit that he competed with. Again, this. He epitomized the spirit of what boxing was built on, and uh, and if this was it, then then it, it it might truly be an end of an era. I mean, he fought more than seventy, you know, like seventy five pro fights. TC around there, yep. that's that's we we're, we're, that's a lot. That's a lot of pro fights in this modern era. We know guys 40s, 50s, 60s used to fight, you know, a hundred times. Sugar Ray Robinson over two hundred fights. Like we get that, but in this era. That's it's totally unprecedented. I mean, I even look at a guy like Canelo, who who had a lot of big fights and a lot of a lot of fights early in his career, and is is very very accomplished and, and has fought a lot of the best of his era. He he hasn't even fought, you know, he he has, would have to fight 15, 16, 17 more times to broach the number of fights Manny Pacquiao has. And um, him being at the age of thirty one, I'm not sure we're going to see that. It's just he was a generational fighter and, and really. Um, really helped boxing stay in the mainstream at a time where it was struggling. I mean, he was so box office that a Manny fight, I mean, that was money. That was must-see television throughout the course of his prime. And as we come to CTC, even after his prime as well, even when his prime is long, long gone, he's still a marquee draw, a mega draw. And him along with, with Floyd Mayweather Jr., you know, the guys that really carried this era and served as a bridge in between uh, in between eras where, where there was kind of a downswing in boxing the way it was in terms of the popularity with the mainstream, he, he carried the sport and, um, and was a heck of an ambassador for the sport, you know, for the, for the entire time that he competed, especially here in Las Vegas. You got it. Sam Gordon joins us for the Las Vegas Review Journal, covers the fights, and uh, was there Saturday night as well. And we talk about guys like Manny Pacquiao, the guys that, uh, you know, can stand the test of time but have the drawing power. For me – there's only one other guy that has shown that, and we've got a chance to see him here in the same era, and we feel for- fortunate. That's Canelo. So for me, it's yep. Manny Pacquiao and Canelo Alvarez. Both of those guys have that type of drawing power. It really doesn't matter who they're going to fight. And Canelo has still got a long way to go, like you said, uh, Sam. But he's still, and like Frank's talking about, the demeanor of Manny Pacquiao yep. we always talk about. Canelo is on that same wavelength. It's hard to say anything negative about Canelo Alvarez. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think if there's anybody from this particular era that's kind of cut from that Manny Pacquiao cloth, it's him, right? Multi division, you know, multiple divisions champion. I believe he's a four division champion. Went up to 175. Wants to make history by unifying all the belts at 168, becoming the first undisputed um, super middleweight champion. Fought Floyd Mayweather. Uh, was was willing to, you know, that's the only loss of his career. He stepped in. Floyd was a, uh, the pound for pound king. At that particular juncture, because Pacquiao had been coming off a couple of losses, Floyd was a powerful pound king, and Canelo fearlessly at 23 stepped in that ring with him, and really that was the night. Even though he lost that fight, that was the night his star was really made, and he's he's done nothing but elevate that star by fighting 
the best competition that there is to fight at, at 154, 160, and now 168. So he has that same kind of appeal as Don't well. Don't forget and, a couple at 175, too. He destroyed Sergey yeah, Kovalev at 75. And so Sergey Kovalev at 175, going up to 175. So he, um, he, he embodies some of that same fighting spirit and, and is definitely now um, in my opinion, I don't think it's any question. He is the face of the sport, the current face of the sport in the top draw, and it's it's almost kind of poetic, right? As as Manny Pacquiao probably concludes his career here in Las Vegas in August, Canelo comes back to continue to try and make history in November by unifying all the belts at 168. So, uh, boxing, I think that there's definitely been a reemergence with some of the some of the younger stars, and of course, a guy like Canelo who was in his prime, who who has taken on all challenges and all comers as well. Bo- boxing is definitely in a good place, but but Manny Pacquiao. Um, helped get it there and, and, and helped uh, help the resurrection of the sport, helped it stay in the mainstream at a time when it was falling. So he definitely deserves a lot of credit for that. And, and Canelo is, has done a great job taking the baton and, and leading this new generation. Well, one of the other things that I do find interesting when you compare both of those fighters is we see a lot of fighters, and there's been fighters out there that can sell tickets, but a lot of them have to sell tickets by doing the wolf calls or, you know, be, you know, belittling their opponent or something. So half the people are going to come to see him win and half the people are going to come to see him lose. With Pacquiao and with Canelo, it's like they don't talk down about their opponents. They show them respect. You know, they say that, you know, that, you know, they hope for a good fight. They wish him well before the fight. They wish him well after the fight. And it almost seems like some of these other guys could maybe take a page from that and go, you know what, you don't have to be the villain. You don't have to wear the black hat to get in there. You don't have to belittle or or talk down to somebody or talk down or condescend to the audience out there. But some people do that. These guys both do it with class and dignity, and it's nice to see that you can sell out an arena by still being a decent human being at the same time. Yeah, 100%. You, you You work your tail off in the gym. You improve as a fighter. You take on uh, big challenges and, and, and seek to fight the best. And, and, and you fight in a, in a way and in a style with a style that's, that's electric and exciting. And those guys, um, you know, those guys certainly both did that. And they, they carved out their path and made their money doing it that way. And, you know, other guys are going to do them. Um, I don't think there's necessarily one right or wrong blueprint to, to sell a fight. But Manny Pacquiao did it his way. And Canelo Alvarez, as we speak, is doing it his way as well. And definitely – um, two unique fighters, and like you said, I think that's a fair comparison in terms of how they've approached and handled their business throughout the course of their career. And it's you know it's not a coincidence that that they have achieved the fame, the success uh, in the sport and outside of the sport that they have. And um, you know I think I think boxing is in a good place, right? Manny Manny Pacquiao it may have been a swan song, that may be it. But with Canelo Alvarez and some of the other young exciting fighters, Teofimo Lopez, Tank Davis, uh, Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, boxing is is in a good place, and and I think I think we're going to see um, we're going to see that continue uh, throughout the certainly throughout the course of this calendar year, and then moving forward. Because uh, I mean, when boxing when when the big fights are made and when the stars are out, uh, boxing as a whole is better. And we, we've been able to see that, fortunately, uh, you know, for the last X amount of years with Manny Pacquiao, we've seen that with Canelo Alvarez. So a lot of big fights here this fall, and uh, and the Pacquiao. Ugas card certainly got that started this past weekend. Yeah, Ugas really made a name for himself. And he made it, you know, with boxing fans, he made a name for himself with the split decision loss to Sean Porter. And he gave a great account of himself. And outside of that, I mean, Ugas has, has been stellar. And so it was kind of a, you know, a curtain call or actually kind of a wake-up call for fans to get a chance to, to see him, Sam. And, you know, he connects on 59% of his power punches, 37% overall. He was the victor, deservedly so, defeating Manny Pacquiao. Uh, you know, in, in my mind, that was the key to the fight because he basically took everything that Pacquiao 
uh, could offer. Manny could not get inside, and uh, and Ugas, you know, was was backing Manny up, you know, with that jab and delivered, uh, you know, the the bigger punches. So kudos to Ugas. And now I think the big question is. You know, what's next for Ugas? And this this just wasn't a one-night stand for this guy. I mean, this guy could probably compete with, with anybody in the welterweight division. A hundred percent, DC, a hundred percent. I mean, he proved himself uh, as a top welterweight, no question about that. Now it's what, what direction does he go? Does he does he wait for Errol Spence to get healthy? Does he explore another fight at, at 147? I think there's a lot, you know, there's unfinished business, obviously, with Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter with the WBO. WBO holding a purse bid for that at the beginning of next month. So the welterweight division is, is as interesting as it's ever been. And again, Ugas inserts himself into that conversation, um, not just not just with the victory, but the way he won the fight. He was it was a decisive, decisive victory. TC, I scored it one sixteen, one twelve in favor of Ugas. And to your point, tremendous game plan and execution. Understood he was the bigger, longer, rangier fighter, and really controlled the pace. I thought with his starting with his jab, and then you know, like you said, anytime Manny tried to crowd him, anytime Manny tried to get inside. Bam, bam, jab, jab. Those punches were moving Manny. He never really hurt him, per se, but they backed Manny up. And then he was able to, to, to mix in his rights whenever he wanted to. The straight right, the overhand right, the right hooks were, I thought, really, really effective. It was a great game plan. Uh, he boxed to his strengths, and he dictated the terms of the fight. He dictated the pace of the fight with his length and with his strength. And if we've, if, when we've seen Manny Pacquiao struggle historically, it's been against fighters you know, that are – that employ that style, like a Floyd Mayweather, who, who who tactically used his jab and mixed in power punches when the openings were there, but never really let Manny get inside. Ugas was very, very similar in his approach, and it was extremely effective. And and yeah, you know, I think there were Manny had openings where you know five six years ago he would have been able to explode forward for some of those combinations in ways that he just couldn't on Saturday. But but for me, big picture, this wasn't necessarily about what Manny Pacquiao couldn't do. It's about what Jordanis Ugas did do, and that's effectively use his jab, mixing the power punches when he needed to, and really, really uh, was strong defensively and avoiding punishment. Anytime there was any sign of Manny Pacquiao finding a rhythm, Ugas was able to tie him up, you know, get him out of there and reset, and then go back to go back to setting the tone with his jab and, and really dictating tempo. So, um, like you said, I don't think this is this is a, just a one-time thing. This is a star-making fight. Uh, for him, and, and, and he earned it. He was tremendous. It was a spectacular performance by him and his team. It was tremendous execution, and there are big fights for him to be made at 147. Now, of course, we wish Earl Spence a speedy recovery. Hope he gets back in the ring. Um, but that's the fight Ugas wants. And, and stylistically, I think it'd be interesting. You know, two bigger guys at, at that division at, at 147 pounds that are both very skilled. I think you give Spence, obviously, the edge in power um, with, with more knockouts to his resume. But Ugas has has a little bit of pop as well, and is not afraid to get in there and mix it up. So he has a, a future um, at, at 147. There's, there's going to be big big fights for him to be made at 147. And even though he's 35, you know, may, maybe a little older, maybe past his prime, what, what you would normally consider his prime. For, I think, given that he had a couple of years off, hasn't taken a lot of punishment, hasn't been stopped ever in his career. He's very spry and fresh at that age, and I think still has plenty of big fight big fights left in him and, uh, and, and handled his business by, by doing what he had to do on Saturday, and that was executing, employing and executing a brilliant game plan to defeat the one and only Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, let's leave with this, guys. Uh, you know, you mentioned Manny Pacquiao, maybe a swan song, maybe a fight in his native as the Philippines, and I don't think anybody would 
disparage Manny Pacquiao for doing that. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's a top-tier contender or whether it's just you know a guy that he can maybe go out on his own, own terms with. It really doesn't kind of sound like Manny, but we know how much it means to him to serve his people. And he's really never got a chance to fight really in, in front of his homeland, in front of 50,000-plus. Is this something you think we may see? Yeah, I think it's possible. Uh, I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't think it's a guarantee by any means. I don't. I don't think Manny knows at this point. Right. But if and if there was one more fight, I think it would be that kind of thing where it would be one one kind of send off against you know not necessarily a top tier opponent, not necessarily a setting like this where where you have the kind of the championship stakes and the legacy defining stakes. It would be mainly you know kind of a fun a fun way for him to go out. Um, on like you said, on his own terms. Again, I, I think it's far from a guarantee. But if there was one more, I think that's how it would happen. And um, and, and who could blame him? I mean, he's he's given so much to boxing and has, has done so much um, to glorify the Philippines on a national stage, and, and certainly here in Las Vegas, the last twenty years. That I, I think that would be a really cool, uh, really cool send off. And, and I thought again, even though he lost uh, on Saturday, there was a great great crowd on hand hear him and support him and give him kind of the sense of the Las Vegas send-off he deserves. So. Yeah, and but again, remember, like 72 hours ago, he was thinking, hey, my next fight's going to be against either Earl Spence Jr. or Terrence Crawford. Now the mindset uh, changes a little bit, and, and again, he's got you know the presidency potentially on his mind there as well, too, so we'll see. But uh, it, it was great to see Manny Pacquiao, and this, you know, Saturday night, Sam, we, we, we may have seen the last ring walk for Manny Pacquiao, and he comes out to, I have a tiger at that, too, so... Uh, Pretty interesting. All right, brother, we'll let you go. We appreciate the coverage, and we'll uh, talk to you very, very soon, my friend. Anytime, TC. Thank you for having me. We'll talk soon. All right. Great uh, fo- great follow on Twitter by Sam Gordon. And, of course, you can catch all of his stuff, uh, not just boxing, but uh, UNLV, the Raiders, uh, the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Well, if he's going to run for president, I think that he should fight the current president there in Manila, and the winner <laughs> takes over the presidency because <laughs> – Manny's one of the nicest guys in the world. President Duarte, not necessarily known in that same venue uh, over there. So, But uh, some people like him for his effectiveness. But uh, talk about that. Half the people want to see him win. Half the people want to see him. I think that would be a first-round KO. <laughs> I think it would be, I think too, it's off but, the board. But, hey, why not? We, we have so-called boxers fighting retired MMA guys. Why not have this in the Philippines? All right, Al Bernstein will join us next hour. More on Pacquiao and Ugas. And Matt Holt will join us when we come back. We talk a little college football and some betting contests here in town. Hey, baby! We're going to be here all day, baby! I like this kind of party! I like this kind of party, baby! In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Oh, he has trouble with the spin. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG. Is now in. Hour number deuce here on this Monday. 
Appreciate Sam Gordon for joining us. Uh, talking Pacquiao's loss to Ugas on Saturday night. We'll visit with Al Bernstein a little bit later on this hour, so hang tight for that. A lot to do, a lot to cover, as you know. And plus, we've got a busy week this week. College football on the horizon. Looking forward to that. And uh, we'll also touch on a little Raiders. And uh, they were in action against the Rams. No starters really played, really, for the most part. At least the skill position players. Well, they played in the two-day practices. They yeah. just didn't play in the actual yeah. game. Yeah, And there are <laughs> a few altercations uh, over there. They were getting ready for fight practices. weekend in Vegas. Of course they were. Even though they were down in L.A. So, all right. Dive into that. All right. Matthew Holt joins us. U.S. Integrity. What is going on, my man? TC. How we doing? We're doing great, brother. Doing great. All right. So, uh... We've been talking a lot of uh, Pacquiao Ugas. Uh, if you got some thoughts, man, hit us what you saw. Well, the one, the only thing that really caught my eye is I, there were some rumors going around prior to the fight on fight morning that Ugas had a torn bicep or an injured bicep. And what we saw was betting odds that opened around Pacquiao minus 400 quickly dropped to about Pacquiao minus 330 as all the sharp money came in on the underdog, went back up to about minus 400 fight night with all the rumors swirling around. And uh, at the end of the day, Ugas ends up winning the fight clearly. No bad decisions from any judges as he wins sweeping across the board. But I thought it was interesting how a little, you know, it just goes to show you how a couple of posts on social media can really affect some wagering lines. You know what? I saw those. I think it was uh, on Friday, you know, some of those things. And I got a couple of phone calls, too, where people were saying, hey, you know, you know, you know what do you know about this and everything? And I said, well, <laughs> I said, I didn't hear anything about it. Uh, and again, so I was kind of keeping a close eye on his, his left shoulder. They said it was like a, like a tricep or bicep injury. And uh, th- that jab was pumping fine. Uh, there, there was no issues, you know, whatsoever. It just blows me away. Like you said, Matt, with social media, how so many of these people come up. They think they got information. Everyone wants to break news. And, and how a lot of people just, they almost kind of treat it as gospel. And if you look at you know the hardcore boxing people that uh, you know the follow uh, follow the sport and everything, you didn't hear them chirping. It was just these other people want to be the trying to make a story, and then and now my phone starts to ring and people are texting me and all this other stuff. I go, well, let's see. I talked to people for the commission. They haven't said nothing. Uh, and, uh, Freddie Roach doesn't know anything about it on, on Manny's side, so I didn't put much credence into it whatsoever. But like you said, man, it's always out there. Didn't Max Scherzer just tell us don't believe Twitter when go. everybody said he was going to the Padres? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, man. Very good. All right, uh, man, I want to talk with you about uh, the Big Ten coming down with their announcement today saying uh, that uh, they are going to be having some other uh, COVID protocols put in place. The Big Ten commissioner says if a team tests positive for covid that uh, and they cannot feel the team that this will result in a forfeit, no postponement, no makeup date, and uh, if uh, both teams uh, are affected in this situation, it becomes a no contest. But this is something we've been talking about for the last couple weeks about how is college football going to handle the situation because we know there are going to be positive COVID tests, whether it's going to hit players, whether it's going to hit coaches, you know, people in the program. And we were talking last week about I'm thinking they're going to try to 
take the NFL's mode from last year and say, hey, we're going to plug on with this thing, and uh, we're not going to go with the postponement model that they went last year. So I'm happy to see this from the Big Ten. I hope other conferences follow suit uh, as well here. Look, the Big Ten last year, who kind of was some of the first you know, leagues to cancel games, and uh, they probably regretted jumping the gun and being first. Not surprisingly, they weren't first with this decision. We saw it was the Pac-12 almost a month ago now. I think over three weeks ago we saw the Pac-12 come out with this exact same policy. The Big 12 followed suit. The ACC has followed suit. And now the Big 10 following suit in an attempt to help get more and more student-athletes vaccinated, coming out saying, hey, if you are forced to not play football game due to COVID-related issues, you're going to have to forfeit. And the good thing for the sports books is when it first happened, we saw some reductions in uh, some of the unders or at least the season win totals for some of the Pac-12 teams because we said, boy, there's probably going to be a couple. So you can bet some of these unders knowing that they may get to play a game less or two than some of the other teams. But now I think there's been an adjustment universally in college football as every single major conference has come out with the same. The SEC hasn't come out with anything, but the SEC was the last to come out with any policies related to COVID last year. They tend to take a more let's-wait-and-see approach. So um, at this point, it seems universal amongst all of the colleges, and I think betters need to be understanding that that's what's going to be the case. And They should look, you know, there's a lot of numbers out there if you search Twitter, and this is what I think a better could potentially take advantage of, is if you search Twitter and you go through some of these credible beat reporters, they've done the work. These schools have to report to the conference and to the NCA what the percentage of their athletes are that have um, been vaccinated, and those numbers tend to get leaked around, and uh, we've seen many people post them, and And you could see some of these schools are still in the 30 40% range, while some of them are in the 90% range. Well, those 90% schools, let's just face it, regardless of what anybody thinks of vaccines, they're less likely to get games, uh, to have to forfeit games because of COVID, and they're more likely to get a forfeiture win. So you may have a couple of teams out there with really low season win totals, But because they have over 90% vaccination rates, there's a chance that they could go into a game of 14, 17, 21-point underdog. But because their opponent has a 30% vaccination rate, more likely to get COVID, may have to forfeit a game suddenly, well, they have a better chance of picking up a win or two than they might. And that could be an opportunity in the season win totals market. Let me ask you this, Matt. So from a sportsbook perspective here, if one of these games happen where it is a, a forfeit, uh, what, what happens here? I mean, how, how do you grade that, especially when you're dealing with, uh, with, with point spreads here? Like, say, I don't just, you know, uh, sake of argument, say if you got, you know, Michigan against, uh, you know, Purdue and Michigan's favored by eight and a half or whatever. Well, guess what? You know, uh, Purdue forfeits uh, the game. How is that graded or is it graded? So as far as I know, so for season win totals, it will still count and it will be graded as a loss. Right. Uh, but for individual games, what they say is for the individual games to have action, there still has to be the 55 minutes of play rule. So if there isn't 55 minutes of played, obviously in these forfeiture games, there's likely to be zero minutes played. Most of them will be forfeited prior to the start 
of the games, I assume. Um, thus, all bets on the game themselves should be refunded. Just the same rule they're using yeah. as Wisconsin UNLV in the bowl game years ago, where they, you know, the van crashed into the transformer and the lights went out, that famous game. <laughs> right. Yes, because they won't actually be able to fulfill the 55 minutes of play, all bets on those games will have to be refunded. Yeah, yeah. And no different than uh, we've seen with these rainstorm or hurricane games where we've had these, you know, four hour delays in the middle of the second quarter. Uh, same uh, principle there. Yeah, lightning in the area or right. something like that. And yeah. all of a sudden they have to cancel yeah. the game. Yeah. It should also be noted, too, and I'm sure that you were going to touch on this, but if both teams have COVID issues, then it's considered a no contest. Correct. Yeah. So it's- Correct. But I don't think we're going to run into a bunch of those. Because at the end of the day, what's going to happen? I'd be willing to bet, Frank, that we get zero of those this year. And this is why. Because at the end of the day, somebody's going to release their numbers first, and they're going to go, oh, crap, look, you can't play. And they're not going to go through the whole, does the other team have enough? At that point, the other team just going to say, yeah, yeah, no, we're good. We have enough, you know, walk-ons, whatever. Somebody's going to end up having to forfeit, I think. And, and I think once you get a forfeit or two from a big team, you're going to see some vaccination numbers go up. The NCAA released an updated COVID guidance on uh, August the 4th. It said, unvaccinated college athletes should be tested weekly for COVID-19, wear masks, and in most situations, and be guaranteed, or I, I, I should say, and be quarantined if exposed to the virus, while vaccinated individuals should not be tested routinely. So that is uh, pretty interesting. Well, again, they're trying to get everybody to get vaccinated here. And like your point, Matt, if you're vaccinated, you're going to play more football games. There's not going to be a risk of you, you know, not, uh, you know, not playing. And uh, again, I just it doesn't make sense why, you know, more of the institutions and more of these teams, you know, would just, you know, kind of put the hammer down and say, guys, if you want to play, you, know, you got to get vaccinated. Look, I never fault anybody who doesn't want to get vaccinated. It's their own personal choice. But let's face it, in 2021, life is easier for you if you get vaccinated, especially if you are a collegiate or professional athlete. If the choices are constantly getting tested, have to wear a mask everywhere you go, being quarantined from everyone else on the field, or not having to go through that testing and not having to wear a mask, and not having to deal with any of that by getting a free shot, I'm getting the free shot. Now, I'm not faulting anybody who doesn't, but at the end of the day, for every one of those student-athletes who gets it, your life is easier. I, it's amazing. Well, you know, another thing, too, I know a lot of people were saying that they weren't getting vaccinated because the FDA hadn't approved it. The FDA has now just approved yeah. the Pfizer vaccine, so... Do you think that will have a bigger effect, or do you think some people were just using that as an excuse not to get the vaccine? I think there's lots of excuse. Things have been politically polarizing the last few years, and again, because I try to avoid being political at all times, I don't even I, I don't even ask people to be honest what the reason is that they don't get vaccinated. I tend to find it's very personal, and and in some cases, I probably wouldn't understand, so I even ask and. So I think it's a personal choice by everyone. But what's not really debatable is everything is going to be easier for you in terms of practice, preparation, by getting that vaccination because you don't have to jump through all those extra hoops anymore. Matthew Hole joins us from U.S. Integrity. 
talking a little college football. Matt, let's uh, keep it on the football side, but let's move over to the pro side. Uh, Cam Newton, unable to practice this week with the Patriots due to a misunderstanding of COVID protocols on his part. Now, he got approval to go out of state to do a independent medical appointment. had nothing to do with, with COVID. Now, he has taken COVID tests and tested negatively every day that he's been in camp here. But according to the NFL and NFLPA protocols, the Tier 1 and Tier 2 individuals, including, of course, all players, are exempt from daily testing and allowed to travel if they have received the COVID-19 vaccine. So, therefore, sounds like Cam Newton is not vaccinated here. And talking about, you know, like you said, you know, you, you want to play, you got to go through this, and it makes it a heck of a lot easier. And now if you're Bill Belichick, you know, he's got actually a quarterback battle going on with Mac Jones here. And it's pretty close. Even though Belichick is saying, hey, Cam Newton is the starter, but I like what Bill Belichick had to say. He said that like any position, he goes, that can change at any time. Now, Cam Newton's going to be away from the Patriots for the next five days, and really that's probably not that big of a deal considering you're still you know, more than two weeks away from the season opener. But the bottom line is, here is your quarterback, and you hate to say this, kind of the face of the franchise, but he kind of is because I would never want him as face of my franchise. But here's a guy that's refusing to get vaccinated. This is going to be a problem. Look, you talk about misunderstandings. As a Patriots fan, I'm having a misunderstanding of why Cam Newton's still our quarterback, especially after last year's performance. This is unbelievable to me. What I think is going to happen here is we're very quickly going to see Mac Jones take over that starting role. The New England Patriots just don't draft quarterbacks in the first round. The fact that they did this year shows that they understand that they need a, a new starting quarterback. And and it was only a matter of, of when and not if that Mac Jones became the starting quarterback ahead of Cam Newton. And I think as Cam continues to make poor choices that don't only affect him but his teammates, because, again, this one affects his teammates. Cam Newton doesn't want to be vaccinated, great. But now he doesn't get to practice for another five days. And now they, his teammates lose more preparation. And now some of them have to quarantine because who knows who he, he's been around. He continues to make poor choice after poor choice, and it affects his teammates. And his play on the field doesn't overcome those poor choices. Don't be surprised if week one, Mac Jones is starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. Well, I find it interesting, too, because according to the story, it says Newton refused to reveal his vaccination status earlier at training camp because he said that it's a personal matter. But... If every team is saying we have 30% vaccinated, 80, 90, whatever, if someone's not giving their status, how do you put that into their stats? Or do you just assume, well, they're not vaccinated until we're sure that they are or something like that? Because even though it is a personal matter, you know that your team is giving out the numbers of who's there. So how do they include you in those stats if you won't give them the information? Well, I assume the information within the team is known. They know who's vaccinated and not. They're just not allowed to really discuss it, again, because it is a personal matter. Look, at the end of the day, the NFL is a private company, right? And these are privately owned companies. And private companies, bosses of private companies can put in mandates. And while I think there's certain things that, that you just, you know, you 
you know, think of a job in a dress code. Some jobs at the casinos, you have to wear a tie and you have to wear a uniform and you have to wear a full suit with a tie. And that's what that company wants to mandate for their job. If I was an NFL owner right now and the alternative was my team may have to forfeit games, they're going to lose potential travel issues, we're going to have to test more, we're going to go through all these extra hoops and have to pay for all those extra hoops, I would just say, look, if you don't want to be vaccinated, go play for another team. All right, uh, back to college football. We actually have games this week. And we're going back to the Big Ten here. They're going to kick it all off as Nebraska is facing Illinois in Champaign here. Here are a couple programs that are you know, in a little turmoil. Uh, they haven't been real successful the last few seasons. Uh, really, this is probably the, it sounds uh, sad here, but the marquee game of a very uh, small docket, I guess you like to call it, this is like zero week for college football, right? But it is the kickoff. It reminds us all that college football is back because if you remember, the following week isn't a typical Saturday start time. It's not that, hey, college football kicks off on a Saturday. We get these five games that first Saturday, and then we get games all day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the next week. So four days after these first five games, we will basically have games nonstop for uh, for three straight days. And I think it's exciting. I do think this is the headliner right out of the gate. Really important game for both teams. Look, Scott Frost is in some hot water, you know, for some of the things he's done, holding practices outside of when he was supposed to and all that. But he's also on in hot water because his team has not performed up to expectations of the Nebraska faithful here, and they need to get this win. On the other side, Lovey Smith also in hot water. He was supposed to completely turn this Alliant Eye program around. So we have two coaches on the hot seat here, both of them with senior quarterbacks, Brandon Peters for Illinois. Adrian Martinez for Nebraska. Both of these guys were wildly hyped up. Adrian Martinez has been, you know, two years ago was like in the top three or four in the Heisman, another Heisman hopeful last year. This is a guy that they had huge expectations for in Nebraska. One of these teams, one of these coaches, one of these senior quarterbacks has to step up, and I am fascinated by this zero-week game. I mean, what about the Big Ten team starting with conference games? It's crazy. Yeah. Well, when you look at this game too, Matt, I mean, considering that Illinois was probably the improved, one of the decent, you know, improved teams last year, and they blasted Nebraska. They beat them by 18 points, you know, last year, and now Illinois is getting seven points at home. You know, just again, I haven't really done any homework on this game yet, but just, you know, to the blind eye, this looks like a live dog. I agree, especially with the distractions that Nebraska right. may face going into the season. With all the media attention, negative media attention that Scott Frost is getting, NCA looking into different infractions there, that can only be a distraction for a team who doesn't need any more distractions. And I'm with you. If any of the, if either of these two teams showed any sort of improvement last year, it was certainly the Illini who came in with much less expectations than Nebraska. You know, originally I thought this line was a little high at seven and a half or eight because Brandon Peters was questionable. Well, Brandon Peters is fully healthy and cleared, ready to go for the Illini, yet they're still a seven-point home dog. Seems a little rich to me. And in the, another game, very similar situation, too, talking about a program kind of in disarray or maybe even transition here is UCLA. They're favored by 17 against a Hawaii team that, 
is pretty improved as well, too. So a pretty, pretty big point spread here. And let's remember UCLA next week. They got LSU coming to town. Yeah, absolutely. Huge look-ahead spot here for the Bruins, who are a substantial favorite. And their quarterback, Dorian Robinson, also had some injury concerns about a week ago, missing practice three consecutive days. Looks like he's going to be ready to go for this game. Look, they have to win this Nick game. There's no way Coach Kelly can afford to, to have UCLA looking past Hawaii. I don't think the Bruins right now can afford to look past anybody. Look, they're going to be a significant underdog to LSU. They're just not at that level of competition yet. So they really need to stay focused and get the job done. And I agree with you. This Hawaii team was sneaky good last year. Not the best defense down there on the island, but boy, were they able to score the football and running the football for an offense that was so known for all those passers with Timmy Chang and, and all the other Colt Brennan and all the, all the great passers that they had down here in Hawaii. They were able to run the football last year. UCLA was not able to stop the run at all last year. Bruins better be on upset alert and better be ready. When it comes to handicapping these games, how much do you have to stay in touch with, because I would imagine it's quite a bit, of all these teams and what their home stadium uh, protocols are? Because I, I know I read recently that Hawaii's not going to allow fans in, at least not the start of the season. Some of them are going to have proof of vaccination to get in, like Oregon. Others are just going to be, you know, if you have a ticket, you come to the game or whatever. How, how difficult does that make it as handicapping, and does that change, like, the home field advantage and point spread lines? Oh, it's huge, Frank. I mean, it's not just handicapping, it's odds-making. You have to try to keep up with, are they at a quarter capacity? Are they full capacity? Are they va- or is it all fans must show vaccinations? What I am hearing, though, is what we're seeing is I think the vaccinations aren't going to affect attendance too much because I think it's a better experience for the fans. What's worse, having half fans and everyone wearing masks or having 70% fans and nobody wearing masks? I mean, I think once they get in there with no masks, because of the vaccination, it's going to be a better fan experience inside the arenas. But it's between that and the transfer portal, which in college basketball and college football is just amazing. I mean, so many athletes changing, uh, changing teams constantly. It's hard to keep up with. The rosters are ever-changing. So you have to keep up with that, as well as trying to determine home field. Home field will probably be the most difficult challenge, I think, for odds makers uh, all season long this year. All right. He is Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. On the sportsbook side, we're talking with him about that from the integrity issue with uh, all of college sports. And, Matt, uh, you know, we all follow the the sportsbook contest at this time of year, whether it's the, the NFL contest or, you know, the, the, the college ones. And more and more sportsbooks are getting a little bit more creative. Uh, you know, we, we saw what Circa's doing now. Uh, you know, the Westgate's doing their thing. William Hill's adding the college football contest. You know, real quick, and we'll talk more about this in the upcoming weeks as it's, it's contest sign-up time. Best way to approach these contests and selecting maybe the right contest for you? I think contests are the one big differentiator that Nevada still has. We all see that New Jersey is doing significant more handle than Nevada. They should. They have a much higher population base to tap into. But at the end of the day, the one thing that's, I think, still a big differentiator in Nevada that we just don't see in any of these states is these big, giant, really successful contests, $10 million being go- going to be given away in the Circa Millions this year. Look, here's the thing about these contests. You can't win the contest in the first few weeks, but you sure can lose it. 
with so many entries now, you really need to hit 60 70%. So in these five-pick contests, like the Circle Millions, the Superbook contest, you need to go three and two every week. And 0 and 5 or 1 and 4 is really, really hard to overcome. So I think, you know, probably the strategy early is don't be so risk adverse. Just try to get that three and two. Two and three is not the end of the world. You go 0 and 5 week one trying to be contrarian or trying to be cute. Um, you're out. You're done, man. It's so hard to overcome that when, when the winner is probably going to hit 70% for the year and you only get to make five picks a week. So, I always like to start these contests off a little more risk-averse than, than maybe some people. Is there a contest that uh, you like better than others, or what about some advice there? Well, I do like the Circa Millions for the fact that they pay out quarters, you know, so the, you know, the top five or whatever it is per quarter. So if you're out of it early, you have that 0-5, you're still incentivized to put your picks in and try to win a quarter because it's not just a, a little prize for a quarter. I think it's 125 grand to win a quarter. So there's big money involved at the end of the day. Um, so I, I like that. But I'll tell you, my, I think my favorite contest is Survivor. Boy, Survivor is fun. You know, you, every week you're just rooting for that one big upset that everybody's on. Uh, Survivor is a fun contest, and I think that there's more strategy than people realize getting into those Survivor contests figuring out, okay, I'm not going to use Kansas City now because I'm going to try to wait all the way till week eight and, and mapping out when you're going to use your survivor picks. It really, really is strategic. I, I have a lot of fun participating in Survivor. Right. So, so when it comes to that, because uh, you said that you're, you, you know, for some of the contests you, you lay back a little bit and you don't take that risk-reward or, you know, right at the bat, in Survivor, then, even if you have a sure pick, you're not necessarily concerned about just moving on from week to week because you think that your other picks are still going to be good enough? You'd rather have stronger teams left when it really counts? Yeah, so last year, I think we made it. We only entered one pick. You're allowed to, I think, enter six in Survivor, and I think we still made it to week eight or nine, way down there. Um, and and we still had Kansas City. We still had, I think, three of the best teams left when we finally went out. It was the New England Patriots that put us out. But we were able to map out some games and say, hey, if we can save these three teams, if we could get to Week 10, and I think we went out right before Week 10, but if we could get to Week 10 and still have Kansas City left and Seattle left or whoever, you know, it's three of the Tampa Bay left, and New Orleans last, well, boy, we're going to be able to use those good teams when other people can't and have a real shot at winning this thing. If you use up the best teams in the NFL weeks one through six, you end up flipping a lot of coins. Uh, so you've got to try to pick teams strategically, not just who do I think will you know win this week so I can move on, but who do I think will win this week that I won't want to use again in the next few weeks. Um, that's part of the challenge that I think makes Survivor so appealing. Yeah, and there are so many you know contests around town again, uh, and there's new ones each and every year as well too. So, so do some homework, uh, keep updated, and we'll update you on on all those uh, as well too. So, and it's just not for the the guys that uh, can put down you know a thousand dollars entry fees as well too. I mean, there's there are a lot of less expensive ones as well too, and there's even some free ones. Oh yeah, I think you know some of the ones that have significant prize pool are as low as $25, as high as 1500 and the whole gambit in between. And um, it's the most fun time of year when those contests are. Everybody's alive, and it's like March Madness, right? Everyone's still in it. Everybody has a hope and a prayer. 
so much fun. There you go. All right, my man, we appreciate it as always. Uh, we'll look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, guys. Have Best of luck today. Take care. There he is, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. Uh, busy, busy guy. Again, uh, is in tune with all of these college football conferences, making sure everything's on the up and up. Done a fantastic job. And, of course, our longtime sportsbook director as well, too. All right, we come back. Al Bernstein will join us. We'll check in with Al. Uh, not only just uh, Pacquiao-Ugas, but Al's got a call in a fight this coming weekend as well, too. Uh, Jake Paul back in the ring, and Al's going to be on the broadcast. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right, as we know, big boxing day because we had a big boxing weekend last weekend. So let's uh, tie it all up and uh, talk to our good friend from uh, Showtime Championship Boxing, Al Bernstein, the International Boxing Hall of Famer, and uh, so many other Hall of Fames, uh, too many to mention on his resume, and uh, soon probably to be inducted into the Kenny Davidson Hall of Fame of the Tuscany uh, as well, too, for his singing prowess. What's going on, my man? I'm good. Well, that wouldn't that that would be my most uh, treasured uh, uh, Hall of Fame nomination. So there you go. It would be, but uh, I think Al, when you start performing at the Tuscany, I think you're going to have to don a bow tie like Kenny. You know, or are you just afraid just because that's Kenny's thing? You don't want to infringe on him. Yeah, maybe. Well, um, yeah, he might not like that. So I got to be <laughs> I got to be careful about that. But uh, we'll we'll look for it. We'll see what we'll see what's going on. All right. We had fun uh, this weekend, huh? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I want to, you know, you were not on the call. You got to actually be like a, a spectator at T-Mobile Arena. I want to know how that was for you, Al. I mean, did you get oh, to visit the concession stand? What, you know, what's, what happened there? You know, it's interesting you're asking that question. I almost never get to do that, really not very often. And so uh, at a big event like that, it was fun to sit in the crowd, fun to go talk to people, uh, and and interact with fans and um, uh, and you get a slightly different perspective watching it with people you know I sitting across from us by the way was the wrestler Booker T who was a wonderful guy fun guy and uh, we had a bunch of uh, fans each rooting for different people though the majority of the crowd of course was rooting for Manny Pacquiao but there were some Lugas fans mixed in. And it was fun. It's fun to, 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 to be around the people, and there's a lot of energy in that building. You know, I know this was a, you know, this fight was one that filled in for the original fight, Errol Spence, uh, but the place was, you know, virtually filled up, and it was, um, there was a lot of energy there. Yeah, 17,438. It was a great crowd. And now, uh, so I don't know for sure here, but I'm just going to go on a limb here. Maybe, the, do you remember the last time that you went before Saturday night in the audience? Could it be that night that we went to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas and uh, we were kicking back, had a great dinner, you saw my daughter sing the national anthem? Was that yes. Uh, yeah, we did. That, you know what? I think that was the last night I've actually went as a, <laughs> as a, uh, uh, you know, as, as a fan, and that was fun. It was fun to see your daughter do that. It was fun to see the boxing, and we got to hang out, which was lovely. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a, a really good experience. Good deal. And, and at both uh, T-Mobile and the Cosmopolitan, at least when you went to the concession stands, they worked. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah. Oh, boy, I heard about that one. Yeah, that's not so good. Uh, that's a rough one. Oy, oy, oy. Uh, 
But yeah, they did work. And in fact, I did go, I went upstairs there and had a, you know, I hadn't eaten all day, so I went up and got a snack. And I was just kind of part of the fight, the girlfriend I watched on the screen uh, up in the second level just with them, with fans talking to them. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I actually did the same. And I know Frank was going to ask me because he was asking me about what I was going to eat last uh, week at there. I did, I went to Shake Shack. And I loaded up on the Shake Shack, and that's what I did. Ate it during the Guerrero fight because I don't think I was going to miss too much there, Al. But I was just like you. I was kind of up there on the concourse talking to people, watching it, and, and downing my, my double Shake Shack burger. with. Oh, there you Fra- go. And Frank, Frank will be excited because I did get the chocolate shake as well, too. So, uh, very good. Well, you know, it is interesting, though. That undercard was very good. And even that fight produced, even though there were two fighters that were, you know, at the end of their string, they produced a pretty good fight. But the rest of that undercard was was excellent. So that was that was one of the things that made it a fun evening. And we saw a vicious knockout from the uh, Pacquiao protege. This- yeah, he was taking all he could handle from Julio Ceja, who's a very tough fighter. Ceja was really, I think, winning that fight. And they'd both been down once when... Uh, uh, he came back and uh, Macasio came back and uh, just you know leveled him. It was amazing. All right, now give us uh, your takeaways as you as you watch the fight unfold with Manny Pacquiao and your Dennis Ugas. And you know we we know that Ugas delivered uh, more power punches, connected on fifty nine percent of them. Didn't seem like Pacquiao could really get inside. Uh, the footwork was not the same. I know Manny you know complained afterwards, you know saying that his legs were tight. But uh, what was your overall uh, synopsis of the fight? Well, it went kind of according to the way we talked about when I was on your show and when I said leaning up, I thought it was going to be a distance fight, a pretty close fight, which I think it was, even though, you know, somewhat close, even though Ugas, I I agree with the judges, he won the fight, but, um, you know, it was a competitive fight and it was interesting to watch, at times exciting, Um, and uh, you know, I always thought Dennis Ugas was a live dog in this fight and had a good chance to win. and said it regularly. Not didn't mean he was going to win, but but he had a chance. And it turned out that you know after a very quick start in the fight, Manny had his problems. I think the height and length of of, of Ugas um, was an issue. Ugas did several things very well in this fight. He used his jab effectively for the most part during the fight. Uh, went to the body well. Was warned once or twice about low blows from Russell Moore. Though I don't think they were intentional in any way, and some I don't even know if they were low. But uh, he and he and he and he really found out for that kind of looping right hand, um, and and those were enough, I think, to get him the victory. And I wasn't that Pacquiao embarrassed himself. He didn't. He fought fairly well. Um, but you know, wasn't these were he's forty two years old, and he wasn't quite ready after a long layoff to deal with a very skilled fighter and one that had those physical advantages. Uh, given Al Bernstein all the credit in the world, because Friday he did say Ugas was a live dog, and we're even trying to push Al to the window because again, it made a lot of sense. Wouldn't you know? Did I put a bet on Ugas? Of course not. No, of, of course, course not. Okay. I never. I'm so not prone to putting these. And I, you know, to be honest, I kind of stay away from wagering on boxing yeah. that much because I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a good look for me. Um, right. But I, you know, that was that. He was, you know, he was a guy you could have bet on. 
What was the last sport you have bet on, Al? Did you? you are you a football guy? Do you bet on yeah, some baseball? I, bet, I do put some dollars down on football once in a while. I, you know, I don't have enough confidence in my own ability <laughs> to uh, to know that I might be right to, to really have the the, uh, the great conviction. But I, I will I will I will put a few dollars down on uh, football, and I do like to, to to put a few wagers down when we get to the tournament, the basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, Al, there's a saying in sports that hindsight is twenty twenty. When you look back at that fight, do you think it's because Manny was 42 because he hadn't fought in two years? Was Ugas just the better fighter? Or one thing that we touched on early in the top of the show here was a lot of people weren't talking about it seemed like Ugas take it a little bit, took it a little bit personal that some people were saying that he wasn't really the champ because he had never won the belt in the ring, and he wanted to prove that he was the champ at that weight class. And uh, I thought he had a, a brilliant game plan, and although he threw half as many punches, connected 21 more times and more of the power punches like we talked about. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything you mentioned uh, was a factor. And, you know, Ugas was highly motivated for a variety of reasons, not just the championship one. And this was the opportunity of a lifetime for him. You know, he everyone's talked about how when he was 15-3, and three, he, wanted, he was dropped by top rank. He thought about retiring from the sport, uh, did not, and has put together a great streak marred only by a very close loss to Sean Porter that could have been a win. So... He he's he's a man that is is highly motivated to do well, and and ha, has not had the opportunity, you know, for that kind of super mega fight. So yeah, he came in ready to fight, and I think that the layoff was certainly a factor. The age for Manny Pacquiao is a factor, and some of the physical dimensions of Ugas. It wasn't the greatest style matchup for 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 Manny Pacquiao, uh, and a, a combination of all those things was enough to to you know to create a win. And let me say, I you know there were several elements that evening that I mentioned a good undercard. The main event was certainly interesting and exciting. And oh, by the way, the judges got it right, which was yeah. good. Yep, absolutely. Al Bernstein joins us. All right, uh, speaking of uh, Sean Porter. Uh, Terrence Crawford and Porter are, I guess, scheduled, not officially, uh, to meet each other. Uh, the WBO is having a purse bid. Al, I'll let you explain that to, to our audience here, exactly how this purse bid works and, uh, and, and how likely do you think this fight is? Well, the two promoters, uh, Top Rank and uh, Premier Boxing Champions, were given a chance to negotiate this fight. They couldn't do it. Uh, so it goes to it. If you want to hang on to that championship, when it goes to purse bid, you have to say, "Okay, I'm in." And you, uh, the, all the promoters can now bid on this fight. They can now bid, uh, and there's a, I believe it's a sixty forty split between uh, Porter and Ugas in terms of purses, uh, and you, you, and you bid on the fight. So whether it's Top Rank or PBC or anybody else, you know, we saw Triller come in and outbid everybody for the uh, Tiafimo Lopez uh, Cambosis fight, which apparently now does have a home and a date, I guess. I think it's in October 5th is when they're talking about it. Any promoter can bid. So it could be put on by any of the top boxing promoters. All right, even, even though that uh, Terrence Crawford's still under Bob Arum in top rank and, and Porter's still with Al Heyman in PBC. They could, yeah, they could end up, in theory, with a whole other promoter. Right. <laughs> they could end up with the fight being you know, promoted by uh, Matchroom Boxing uh, and, right. uh, and Hearn or, 
Eagles. God forbid thriller. You never know. Uh, you know. So I had a, by the way, I had a, in a uh, we had fighter meetings today with the, uh, with our fighters for the August 29th pay-per-view we're doing. And when I got Logan, when uh, Jake Paul was on the line, I said, you know, I said, this will be the first fighter years that I'm announcing without a contact tie. <laughs> and what was his response to that? <laughs> he, he started laughing. He said, I love it. That's hysterical. So he was, he was funny. I said, this will allow me to concentrate a little better. There it is. Okay. And a uh, pay-per-view uh, Showtime uh, event coming up. And I use the word event here because that's exactly yeah, what it is. You know, but I, I'll tell you what. It's going to be a fun night. And I'm not just chilling by saying that. Yeah. We have a really good undercard. Um, you, you know, do? we have yes. Ivan Branchik and Montana Love. That's going to be a war. Amanda Serrano defending her title. Uh, against Mercado, Yemelith Mercado, who is a champion of another weight coming up to her. Uh, we've got Daniel Dubois. Uh, you know, there we have a really nice undercard for this, and I think, I believe, the Paul Woodley fight is going to be an interesting event to look at. So for those people that are, are interested, you know, they'll find it, uh, you know, to be intriguing. But I do think overall we've created a good card of boxing. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. You mentioned you talked to both, uh, you know, today fighter means Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley, UFC fighter. What, what did you learn about each of these guys that maybe you didn't know about them heading into this, Al? Well, one of the interesting things is Woodley pointing out that you know he's fought as an MMA fighter at 170, but to do so he's had to cut weight so dramatically that he's really, because he's fighting Jake Paul up around 192 is the, the weight class or the weight limit that they have, that he said this is truly his true fighting weight, that if he had his druthers, this would be kind of the weight he'd fight at, and that his battle to lose weight oftentimes, to cut weight, was, the, was a battle that also affected him in the ring. Um, so that I thought was, you know, was interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, with Jake Paul, I, I think probably what was interesting was the the uh, the list of people that he has sparred with for this fight. You know, um, they uh, he, he's uh, Andrew Tabidi was among them, and uh, um, um, the light, former light heavyweight champion was among them. He's trained by B.J. Flores, so he surrounded himself with uh, you know with good boxing people, and I think that. Part of it is, for whatever you want to say, um, uh, you know, that, that's a help to him. The fact that he has had those kind of people, uh, you know, Jean Pascal and Jay Leon Love, Dennis Cratchow, who was a, a top fighter. Uh, the, you know, he's, he, he's got people around him that are, are good boxing people, so uh, however much that allows him to develop, it'll be helpful. You know, Al, you mentioned that uh, it's a good undercard on this fight card because, you know, it's easy for some people in the media or just in the general public to take shots at fights like this. But Jake Paul is giving it, he, he's putting on a card here. He's giving other boxers a chance. I mean, what do the other fighters feel about being on the undercard of a card with two guys that aren't really necessarily legitimate boxers? I would think that they probably just look at it as an opportunity to get a payday and maybe make a name for themselves and catch a promoter's eye or something like that. Everybody yeah, wants to look do. at the and negative, perfect, but yeah. There are two perfect examples of that. One is Montana Love, who's fighting uh, Ivan Branchik. Now, Branchik comes back off his you know, fight of the year loss to Zepeda, which he points out 
people say it was a good fight. He said, I didn't think it was a good fight. I lost. I got knocked out. So they can say it's fight of the year, but it wasn't good to me. But he needs an important win to get back into the 140-pound picture. And Montana Love is 15-0-1, a really good fighter from Cleveland who's on the verge of breaking through at 140. He's had a difficult life, spent a couple years in prison. Uh, he rebuilt himself, became a, a, you know, a really good fighter. In the last few years, he's just been active and fought really well. This is a huge opportunity for him. He, a win for him will push him into the upper echelon 140-pound division. And Amanda Serrano, uh, in her fight, this gives her an opportunity. She's been seen, of course, but this is a really good window of opportunity. And if enough people buy onto this pay-per-view, she'll be seen and get attention because, as she pointed out, they're going to watch the main event. they got to see me just before it. Um, she wants to... Smoke out Katie Taylor, who she was close to having a fight with, and they, the negotiations never quite worked out. They, you know, it was close. And then two of other two of the champions in her weight class, the other champions on her 26 pound, won't fight her. They were offered um, huge purses for them, uh, from their standpoint, to fight on this card, and they didn't. So it's an important opportunity for her. So yeah, you're right. They see it as a, as a great opportunity, and 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 that's what it is for them. All right, Al Bernstein will be on the call. Uh, very good undercard in the main event. Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley, uh, pay-per-view uh, presented by Showtime coming up on Saturday night. No, Sunday. Actually, uh, Sunday. it's a Sunday one. Uh, it is a Sunday one, exactly, yeah. yeah I, See, I have to rethink myself uh, when I'm traveling and uh, when yeah. the fight is. Yeah, and again, we're all messed up here because usually SummerSlam and wrestling always has that on a Sunday. They had a Legion right. Stadium on a Saturday, and now we're used to these these boxing, you know, uh, and UFC on Saturday nights, and this is on Sunday. So, yeah, we're all confused. 2021, here. everything is a bizarre world. What you used to know doesn't make any sense anymore. Hey, you know what else is a bizarre world? Uh, Al Bernstein's Cubs, you know. <laughs> Al, when's the last time you, you looked at a Cubs game or looked at a box oh, score? Cow. It's got to be disappointing. Oh, my God. Isn't it terrible? Is so, it's, so, it's so painful. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I mean, We don't even have to talk about it. It went from they were never going to be a great baseball team this year. But, of course, when they had all their stars, they were adequate. They, and, or at least they appeared to be adequate and were just, you know, they would have moments where it looked like they were actually going to make a final run as a group. Uh, and that did not happen, and then they were broken up. And, and now, of course, it's, you know, we're back to the first year of Theo Epstein when he came there, um, when he had to rebuild when, he, when they were in a, a desperate situation. So, um, so, it, so I guess the answer to your question is I probably won't be around 100 years from now when they win <laughs> another World Series. But you know what, Al, in a strange kind of way, it all makes sense in this year. The major league teams have gone to Iowa, and the Iowa Cubs have come to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that, now, is, that is exactly true. I think that, that, that explains the year perfectly. Okay, Al, you, you, this is a big question here because you are a Chicago native here. Are you one of those staunch Cub fans that just will not root for the White Sox, even though the South Side, uh, they, they're cleaning up this year and they could be the team going to the World Series? Absolutely, no, absolutely not. I grew up in the south side of Chicago. I grew up there you go. 15 minutes from Comiskey Park um, and went to see the White Sox uh, a lot when I was younger. It just I, I gravitated to the Cubs more as, uh, for whatever reason. Well, I used to go to, the, to uh, Comiskey Park at a night game where it was really chilly and watch Joel Horland <laughs> win 2-1, to one and the two runs would be scored – from a, a you know a walk, steal second, 
fly ball to left, and then a sacrifice, and then they'd come in, right? So that was the extent of the scoring. And I, then I went out in the daytime to Wrigley Field and watched the Cubs lose 14-9 to to the Cardinals, and it, balls were flying all over the place. And I said, you know what, this is a little more entertaining, uh, so I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll come to this, even though it was torture for my whole life. But... Uh, I, li- I like the White Sox. I'm happy. I, my family, it's a, sh- it's a split between the White Sox and the Cubs, uh, and I am always happy for them to do well. And I, this is going to be a very interesting year for them, right? right. I mean, I, they, they appear to have most of the pieces in place to make a run in the playoffs, even though you never know when teams can. I think that is the first and probably only time, maybe the last time, we'll get a Joe Horland reference on this program. Yeah. And if you go back over the north side at that point in time, I thought you were going to give us maybe a Milt Pappas reference. Oh, Milt Pappas, yes, <laughs> who came to us from the, uh, uh, from the Reds, I think, um, and in another Sterling trade that the Cubs made. The only one worse was Ernie Brolio for Lou Brock. Um, <laughs> That's, that's the one that will haunt us forever. Oh, yeah. All right. Al Bernstein's got his podcast, too. Al uh, Bernstein Unplugged. Uh, plug it, Al. Plug the Unplugged. Yeah, that's it. Well, people hopefully enjoy it. It's on YouTube, and it's on all the major podcast uh, uh, locations, and uh, we interview a lot of great folks in the sport of boxing. Tony Harrison, former 154-pound champion, will be on the show coming up this week. So um, take a look. It's uh, a lot of fun. We've got a lot of, lot of great boxing folks on there. All right. And you know our, our cracked research staff here. They dug up Al Bernstein singing. Here we go. Look at this. What are you singing there, Al? Just in time from uh, Broadway musical of the same name. Uh, I'm in a green tune. Nice song. That's right. Just in time. Al Bernstein, the, the king of the uh, of uh, the, the the great standards in the American Songbook. Got to love it. Yeah. And I'm going to mix in on October 8th yeah. when I perform at Kenny's before the night before the. Uh, the uh, Fury Wilder. I'm going to mix in some. You know me. I, I try yeah. to mix in some tunes in addition to the Great American Songbook, yeah. and uh, I've, I've made it my mission to find songs about Alabama uh, to honor uh, Deontay Wilder and British songs to honor uh, Tyson Fury. Very nice. All right, good. Uh, All right. And, and real quick, I think I'll appreciate this. I once saw a triple header of baseball in Chicago. Saw the Cubs oh lose two games to the Expos. Larry Bittner actually pitched in one of them because they were getting blown out. The first baseman then took the uh, L train down to Comiskey and saw the White Sox. By the end of that day, oh. I didn't need baseball for a couple days. <laughs> well, you are a dedicated man, Frank. That's awesome. All right, Larry Bittner, Ron Kanatowski would uh, would appreciate that reference. All right, Al, we, we appreciate it. Have a great call. Say, uh, safe uh, travels and everything else, and uh, we'll talk hey, to you soon, guys. buddy. Always, always good to visit with you. All right. Take care. There he is, Al Bernstein, on the call this week. Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley. All right, uh, good stuff there. I want to thank Al, Sam Gordon, talking about Pacquiao and Ugas, and also Matthew Holt talking a little college football as well, too. All right, tomorrow, Terrible Tuesday style. And uh, putting a little bow and wrap on this, uh, you know, tomorrow with uh, Manny Pacquiao. Showtime Sean Porter, who was on the coverage uh, Saturday uh, with uh, PBC and Fox. And... Getting ready to get into the ring with the purse bid right now against Terrence Crawford. So Showtime Sean Porter will join us tomorrow as well, too. So busy week, and we get ready for college football starting this weekend. Looking forward to it. 
All right, for Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. Numbchuck on the other side. If you miss any part of the show and any of our fight coverage or anything on the website, you know where to go. TCMartinShow.com. We'll catch you tomorrow at 2.